0: Sydney for four years. Uh, I can say there's not really much that I miss about Sydney. Some of you are in the room and I've also spent parts of your life in big cities and I think you'll agree. It's good living in Noosa, isn't it? It's a good place to live. Every time I travel back to Sydney, I'm reminded of the things that I like least. I remember the days crowded on public transport where you're touching more people than you've ever touched at once, people that you don't know. I remember the days sitting in traffic, taking hours and hours to, sp- to travel a few kilometres. There's not much I miss about Sydney. But every time I visit Sydney, I'm reminded of, of some things that I actually do miss. Every time I go back and look at Sydney with fresh eyes, I find the things that I've sort of forgotten about and things that I actually do appreciate, things that I treasured when I was there. I don't know what it's going to be this time, but other times that I've gone back, I've treasured the fact that I could walk to major shopping centres and supermarkets and not have to jump in the car at all. I, I miss the fact that there was cafes Like multiple, multiple cafes within a short walk of my house. I miss the fact that if you wanted to go see a show or go see a sports game, you could walk down the street. I I miss those things about Sydney. There's plenty that I don't miss. But when you look at something with fresh eyes, it's then that sometimes you see the real treasure. You see the gold. You start to appreciate the things that are there. Well, friends, today we're looking at something very familiar, that the Lord's Prayer, possibly the most famous words in the Bible, these words that have been turned into song, these words that have been recited hundreds and thousands of times. I'm sure many of you would have learned the words of the Lord's Prayer as kids, and you've said it regularly many times since then. These are familiar words to many of us. The danger is that familiarity can breed contempt. or well, maybe not contempt, but at least indifference. See, we can read the words of the Lord's Prayer again and again and again. We can recite them, we can know them, and yet forget how incredible they really are. We can miss their significance so easily. And so today... I want us to look at the Lord's Prayer with fresh eyes. We're going to ask God that He would actually help us to see the treasure that is here within this prayer that Jesus taught us to pray. And so, as we come to consider this passage, seems only appropriate that we begin by praying. So, how about we pray? Lord God, give us eyes to see the treasure that is in your word. As we consider these familiar words, break us out of our apathy and indifference. Show us how amazing prayer is, how privileged we are that we can pray to you. Please open our eyes to see the significance of prayer this morning we pray for our good and for your glory. Amen. Well, if you grabbed an outline on the back, you'll find an outline. If you grab a handout, you'll have an outline. Uh, On the back, four significant, four surprising truths about Christian prayer. We're going to consider familiar words, but I want to see the surprising things that are there. So there are four surprising truths that we're going to see this morning. And the first of them is that Christian prayer is really ordinary. Jesus teaches us how to pray. And the thing that we see in this passage first is that he shows us how not to pray. Christian prayer is different to how other people pray. Jesus contrasts it. And the first contrast that Jesus wants us to see is that Christian prayer is ordinary. It is not like the showy prayers of the hypocrite who prays on the street corner so that people will notice him. It's not like that. It's not like the formulaic chanting of the pagan who uses uh, mantras, who tries to capture the attention of their God with lots and lots of words. Jesus says it's not like either of those things. Christian prayer is ordinary. Christians can pray any time. Jesus says in verses 5, and in verse 6, and in verse 7, when you pray. Because you can pray anytime. Christians can pray anywhere. It doesn't really matter where you are, because God sees you. And Christians can pray with ordinary words. Now that might not seem surprising to you, but this is unique among religions. (coughs) And see, Christian prayer is unlike the prayer of our Muslim friends who must pray at certain times of day, facing a certain direction. Christians can pray anywhere at any time. Unlike our Hindu friends who believe that the only way to access the divine is through deep meditation and mantras. Well, we can pray just by speaking simple words. Ordinary words, words that a child can say. When I was in high school, uh, I had the opportunity, I guess the privilege, of of attending an award ceremony with the Governor of New South Wales. And because the Governor is the Queen's representative to the State of New South Wales, uh, I was briefed very strictly on all the things that I must and must not do when I meet the Governor. Here are the things that I must and must not do. Before approaching the governor, you must bow. You must smile. You must look her in the eye. You must call her Your Excellency, not her name. That's fine, I didn't know her name. Your Excellency. You must speak only when spoken to. You must not overstay your welcome. When it's time to leave, you must not turn your back on Her Excellency. You must step back. You must bow again. You must turn to the side and only then can you turn away. All of that for 10 seconds with the governor. Isn't it remarkable that we can speak to the one who created the universe The one who is king over all kings. The one whose rule will never be equaled. That we can speak to that God with ordinary words. Whenever we like. Christian prayer is surprisingly ordinary. It is not natural that we should be able to speak to someone so great. In such an ordinary way. Christian prayer is surprisingly ordinary. The second surprising thing we see about prayer is that Christian prayer is surprisingly relational. Uh, Last week I had to write a letter to our receivers. And I didn't know exactly who I was writing this letter to. And so what do you write at the start of a letter when you don't really know who you're speaking to? To whom it may concern and I find that, that phrase just really odd. Because to say, to whom it may concern is like the vain hope that there is someone who might care about what you're writing about. <laughs> to whom it may concern. But it struck me that this is how some people pray. To whom it may concern. They speak words out into space and just hope that there might be someone out there who cares This is not how Christians pray. We pray to a personal God. We pray to a God who, verse 6, sees us when we pray and actually rewards us when we pray. We pray to the one who, verse 8, knows what we need even before we ask him. But most remarkable, most remarkable of all is that Jesus teaches us to pray to our Father. Our Father. Now that might seem normal to you, especially if you've prayed for a long time, if you've been a Christian for a long time, that might seem perfectly normal. Uh, that is not normal. Calling the Almighty God of all creation our Father is outrageous. Outrageous. If you were a Jew living in Jesus' time, you thought that was outrageous. God's people in the Old Testament, they wouldn't even use his name because they were scared of misusing his name. God's name, the name that he's revealed to people in the Old Testament is Yahweh. But if you have a look at your English Bibles, you'll notice that in most translations anyway, you won't see the word Yahweh. Now, why is that? Well, the reason is that God's people were so afraid of misusing his name that whenever they came to the word Yahweh in Scripture, they, they wouldn't say it. Instead, they replaced it with the word Lord. And so if you look at your English Bibles, you'll often see capital letters, Lord. Well, the word there is actually supposed to be Yahweh, but we kind of follow this tradition of the Jewish people who wouldn't say God's name. Jews wouldn't say Yahweh. They would say Lord, or they would call God the Holy One, the Lord of armies. They had all sorts of ways of describing God, of talking to God, but Father was not usually one of them. Calling God Father is to claim that you have a closeness to God. And the Jews, they wanted the opposite. They wanted to magnify God's transcendence, that he was other, that he was different, that he was holy, so he was the holy one. Calling God Father was outrageous to a Jewish person. To the point that when you get to John chapter 5, Jesus calls God my Father. Do you know how they respond to him? They decide to kill him. In John chapter 5, the Jews hear that God calls, uh, that Jesus calls God my father and they decide they need to kill him for that. Calling God our father is outrageous. The idea that we would call ourselves children of the almighty God is insane. But this is what we are. We belong to him as adopted children. We benefit from him. We are his heirs. We can approach God confidently and expectingly knowing that he is for us. Because Jesus has taught us to pray, our Father 1 John chapter 3 says, See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. Friends, it is astounding that you get to pray to the God of the universe and call him Father. Christian prayer is surprisingly ordinary. It's surprisingly relational that we can call God Father that we can speak to him in that intimate way. But the third thing for us to see this morning is that confidently approaching a holy God and speaking to him whenever we like is not something that comes naturally to us. Christian prayer is a surprising privilege. Now, when I say prayer is a privilege, what I really mean to say is that we have absolutely no right to pray to God. We should not be able to talk to the living God. We have no right to claim anything from God. No one does. Because God doesn't owe us anything, except for perhaps to let us try and deal with the mess that we've created by ignoring him, refusing to listen to him. We deserve nothing from God because he created us and we pushed him away. We rejected him. Now, if you're new with us this morning, one of the things that I hope you see about us here as a church is that we're sinners. We are all sinners. And I want you to see that, not because I want us all to be miserable, not because I want us all just to wallow in guilt, But the fact that we are sinners is a a core part of our identity. It is who we are. It is fundamental to us understanding ourselves. It is important that we see the world as it really is and as God sees it. And so the reality is that we are sinners and that sin separates us from God. Because we rebelled, because God told us how we should live and we said, no, we're going to do something different. Because God told us that we should honor him as our king and we said, "Mm, we would rather do our own thing. Because we rebelled, we are separated from God. There is a divide between us. That divide is now and that divide will be forever. And even our prayers cannot bridge that divide. We have no right to pray to God because we should be separated from God. And so the very fact that Jesus teaches us to pray to God, to speak to him as a father, well, that shows really clearly that something must have changed. And something has changed And it wasn't that we found our way to God, that we found him, but that God came into this world to find us. Jesus stepping down into creation to seek and to save sinners is the thing that makes prayer possible. Jesus dying in our place so that we could have our sins forgiven and be adopted as God's children is the only basis for our prayer. To so that you can pray is an incredible, incredible gift from God because it means, it means that he has dealt with your sin. He has bridged the gulf between you and God. He has dealt with the greatest problem that you will ever face. Which is why we pray in the name of Jesus. It is only through Jesus, only because of Jesus' sacrificial death that we can have that gulf bridged. That we can speak to God and trust that he actually hears us and responds to us. It is only because of this gracious gift that we can pray. Now, the flip side of that, of course, is that non-Christians cannot pray. Or at least they cannot pray and trust that God will hear them and trust that God will respond to them. It is an incredible privilege that we have. And it wasn't because we did anything, but because God did it for us. Christian prayer is a surprising privilege. Well, the fourth surprising thing about Christian prayer is the content of our prayer. And there's a whole bunch of things that we can pray for, right? Things that we can pray for, things that we do pray for. Uh, we, we pray for our world all the time, don't we? We pray for about wars and about famines, about natural disasters. We pray for our country and its leaders and its citizens. We pray about social issues, division in our communities. We pray about problems that other people face. We pray about our own lives. We pray about our own problems, our own anxieties, our own fears, our own situation. There are so many things that we could pray for, that we do pray for. But for all the million things that we can pray for, in this prayer that Jesus teaches us to pray... Well, he teaches us to pray basically about one thing. And that thing is God's kingdom. The entire Lord's Prayer is, is basically about this one thing, about the kingdom of God. Have a look, let me show you. And Because the Lord's Prayer is six requests, six petitions. Everything in this prayer is asking God for something. Now, that's not always obvious in our English translations. I think you read, hallowed be your name, and I think often we read that as saying that God's name is holy. That's true, but it's actually a request. It's asking God to let his name be seen to be holy. This is a request. Your kingdom come is not a statement. It's a question. It's a request. All of the six things are requests of God. (laughs) And all of them are about God's kingdom. The first three are about God. Hallowed be your name is a request. Let your holiness be known. Increase your reputation. Let everyone see how amazing you are. That is what it means to pray. Hallowed be your name. And the question is, how will God do this? How will God have his name, his reputation, be seen to be holy? Well, if you, we don't really have time to flick through it all now, but if you look back later this week at Ezekiel chapter 36 and 37, we see the answer for how God is going to have his name hallowed. In Ezekiel chapter 36 and 37, God is addressing his exiled people. His people that have been booted out of the promised land, away from God's presence because they've rejected God. This is judgment on their sin. And addressing the exiled people, God says that you have profaned my holy name. You have sullied my reputation because the nations are looking at you, God's people, and saying, look, God has failed. God's people are in exile. Therefore, God has failed. God's reputation is in tatters. And so God says in Ezekiel chapter 36 and 37 that he is going to restore his people, but not for their sake, not because it's good for them, even though it is. He's going to do it for his sake, for the sake of his holy name. And so he announces in Ezekiel 36 and 37 his plans to redeem his people out of sin, out of exile, to wash away their sin, to gather them back together and to put them in a new kingdom where there is a king like David on the throne forever. Does it sound familiar to you? Because hundreds of years later, a descendant of David rides into Jerusalem and says, this kingdom is here. Jesus is the King that will redeem his people, that will gather people together so that God's name would be seen to be holy, that Jesus' kingdom is the way that God's name will be hallowed on this earth. And so we pray, hallowed be your name. Let your name be holy. And the answer to that prayer is the arrival of Jesus. And so the second and third requests of the Lord's Prayer, they're asking God to bring his kingdom to earth. Essentially, it's a prayer to finish the work. Because Jesus came, he died for sin, he rose again, but he needs to come back and establish that kingdom here on this earth. And so the Lord's Prayer is essentially asking God to do what he's promised he's going to do. Bring Jesus back. Have everyone see how amazing Jesus is by establishing his king forever. That's the first three requests. Uh, the second three requests, they're all about us living in that kingdom now. If Jesus is king, if he's going to establish an eternal kingdom, well then we're going to ask for forgiveness for our sins because we're going to take sin seriously. If Jesus is king, then we're going to ask for his help to resist the sin that would disqualify us from that kingdom. So we're going to say, keep us from evil. Lead us not into temptation. Protect us so that we can live in your kingdom. And if we belong to Jesus, and if he's promised that he will protect us for all eternity... Well, then, prayers about our physical needs, prayers about the things that concern us day to day, well, Jesus says we can pretty much limit those to a prayer for the food we eat today. Jesus says you don't need to pray about what's going to happen next week, whether you're going to have enough money next month. Jesus says that the thing that should fill our minds, the thing that we should long for most of all, is that we can live in Jesus' kingdom now. And so we pray, give us daily bread, but that's about it. There's a million things we could pray for, a million concerns we have, a million things that are worrying us about the week to come. But Jesus says, keep your focus on the main thing, the best thing. Keep your focus on his kingdom. There are millions of things we could pray for, but the thing that we must pray for, the thing that we should want more than anything else, is for God to be glorified by all people bowing their knee before Jesus the King. Well, what do we do in response to this? This word from our Lord. Well, there's, there's two outcomes that I want to see for us today. First, that you pray. And secondly, how you pray. Now, that, that's the outcome of a sermon on prayer, right? Pray and pray in line with how Jesus says we should pray. And so first, let me encourage you, pray. Now, that, that's the application of every sermon in the world, isn't it? Pray, pray more. But friends, I don't want you to pray out of guilt. I don't want you to pray because I said that you should. I want you to pray because it's an incredible privilege and that you're missing out if you're not praying. You get to come before the almighty God of all creation and approach him as your father. You get to know that he cares about you more than anyone else cares about you. You can speak to him using ordinary words whenever you like. That is an incredible privilege. So I invite you to take hold of that precious gift. Pray. But when you pray, I'm going to challenge you to pray in line with what he says is good. Do your... prayers reflect God's priorities, or are they just a reflection of your own priorities? Remember that in this passage where Jesus is teaching us to pray, he's doing that in the context of talking about the foolishness of doing acts of righteousness for anything less than the glory of God. Remember, he, he's, he's pointing out the hypocrisy of giving to the needy or praying or fasting and saying that you're doing that for God when really it's just all about yourself. He's saying, that's just stupid. Don't do that. Do we do that when we pray? Do we pray to God, but really we're only focused on ourselves and what we think is good? Or are we praying God's priorities? Are we praying about things that are actually good? And so, friends, my challenge to you this morning is pray about what God says is important. Pray about what God says is good for you. And the thing that God says is good above all other things is that Jesus is king. So pray that in your own life you would serve Jesus as king. Pray that God would be glorified as other people see your life, that see your good deeds that you have done for Jesus. Pray that God would be glorified, that his name would be seen to be holy as your friends and your neighbours and your workmates come to him for the forgiveness of their sins and to be adopted as his children. Pray that the gospel would grow, that people would be saved. These are the priorities of God's eternal kingdom. Friends, pray that Jesus would return soon and bring to an end the sin and pain and suffering that we experience here in this world. That he would gather his children into his arms, into his everlasting kingdom. Pray that Jesus would return so that we can live in the day when we no longer need to pray because we'll enjoy being with God and seeing him face to face. Friends, pray about Jesus' eternal kingdom so that one day we will live in it. But until that day, let's pray. So let's pray. Now, Lord God, what a precious privilege it is that we can pray to you. That we, sinful creatures, rebellious creatures, people who wanted nothing to do with you, could be invited to speak to the Holy God. That's astounding. That blows our mind. But Lord, we ask that you would see what a precious privilege it is. And would you help us to pray? We don't find it easy. Sometimes we don't know what to pray for. We're comforted that you say that you know what we need even before we ask. But we know it's good for us. And so we ask that you would give us the strength to pray. The confidence to know that you hear us and actually answer our prayers. But we pray that you would align our priorities with yours, that we would long for your name and your reputation to be recognised in this world, that we would long for the rule and reign of King Jesus to be recognised by others, that other people would bow their knee before him in worship as we do. Lord, this is our prayer and we rejoice that we can be confident knowing that you will achieve your purposes, that you will answer our prayers when we pray in line with your priorities because you have promised that one day Jesus will return and that he will bring his kingdom to its fruition, where every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord and we long for that day, Lord. We can't wait for the day when we get to see you face to face. Where we get to enjoy you forever. And so Lord, we ask that you would help us pray in line with that glorious future. Thank you that we can pray to you. Thank you that you hear us. We pray these things in the name of our Saviour, our King, and the one who taught us to pray for our good and for his glory. In Jesus' name. Amen.